Well, if you're visiting with us tonight, we welcome you, and we're so glad that you're here. We're in the middle of a a series on the attributes of God, and it's entitled Knowing God. In his book, bearing the same title, J.I. Packer asks this question, what were we made for? And he answers this way, to know God. What aim should we set ourselves in life to know God? What is the best thing in life, bringing more joy, delight, and contentment than anything else? To know God. This last week, Yvonne and I had a lot of great joy and and delight in our household because we had grandson number five who was born. So we're, we're getting ready for the next March Madness, all right? And uh, looking forward to the team we're going to have someday. His name was Carson, Carson Walter, Carson Walter Klein. And my wife, uh, un, unbeknownst to me, was videotaping it, so I'd like you to watch the screens right now. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, little ones to him. Pretty great, huh? And I'm not talking about the singing either. (laughs) I thought I might submit that to, you know, one of the programs on TV. You never know. So, you know, knowing God is the best thing in life. Knowing God is what we were made for. Knowing God is what brings great joy and contentment and delight beyond anything else. Knowing God ought to be the ultimate aim of every one of our lives. And knowing Jesus is the one thing above all else that we must be sure to pass on to those who follow after us. My daughter handed me Carson, and uh, we had just walked into the room. He had been born a number of hours early, but it was the first time we would see him. And she handed me and she said, here, Dad. And I knew exactly what it was about. That song I sang to her 30 years ago when she was placed in my arms, same song. Those were her first words for me. Our second daughter, the same was true. Our son, the same was true. And all five of our grandsons. Knowing God is the most important thing in life. To know Jesus is a thing that we we, we long for. It was the longing of the Apostle Paul's heart. He said, everything else is worthless compared to the knowledge of the great, greatness of knowing God. And that's true for us tonight, each and every one of us. And that's what this series is all about. How can we know God? 
Well, we must study his word. The Bible is the revelation of, of, of God to us concerning who he is. And we can only know God because he has chosen to reveal himself to us. Do you realize that? We can't know him for any other reason. We know him because he has revealed himself to us, and primarily he does that through the scriptures. And as we study the attributes of God, we must understand that an attribute is simply a characteristic or, or a quality of God that he has chosen to make known to us, that he has chosen to reveal to us. And over the last four weeks, we've looked at four attributes, God is all-knowing, God is everywhere, God is all-powerful, and last week on the card that you received in your bulletins, as you've received one each week, God is unchanging. And tonight, we're looking at God is holy. Now, I wondered why Rick would ask me to do this tonight, and the best answer I could come up with was because I just realized I'm the guy who needs it the most. That must have been it. Well... The Bible declares to us that God is indeed holy. In fact, in Isaiah 6 and in Revelation chapter 4, we find these words, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And if there's nothing else that you receive from this message tonight, this is what I want you to take home. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And that verse, which is found in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament, it was part of, in the Old Testament, Isaiah's great vision. There he saw the seraph singing to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It was part of John, the Apostle John's great vision in the book of Revelation. There he also heard the angels shout to one another those same words, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This is an antiphony of praise that the angels in heaven shouted back and forth to one another before the throne of God giving him worship. They didn't shout and they don't shout all-knowing, all-knowing, all-knowing. They don't shout, all-powerful, all-powerful, all-powerful. They don't shout, love, love, love. All those things are indeed true of God, but what they shout before the throne of God is, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And I would like for us to imagine for a moment just a little of what this antiphony of praise must sound like. And here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to divide us right down the middle here. And I'm going to ask us to shout back and forth to one another, beginning over here, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then this side will shout back, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We're going to do it three times, back and forth. We'll kind of start out a little soft, and then we'll build a little bit. But imagine what's taking place, even this very moment, before the throne of God, as we, we envision this together. Let's begin over here. Holy, holy, holy 
is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Okay. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Here we go. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Respond back. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And he is. And he is. He is holy, holy, holy. Holiness is the one attribute that most fully describes all that God is. And it is the one that binds all of the other attributes together. Psalmist says this, holy and awesome is his name. God's name is holy. His name is awesome. He, why? Because he is holy. Let me whip my whistle here. It's getting a little dry. The Exodus, in Exodus 15, Moses prayed this prayer. Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, and working wonders. And of course, the answer is no one. No one. No one is holy like God. So what does it mean? What does it mean that God is holy? The words translated holy in the Bible have the root meaning of separation. That's what the word holy means. It means to be separate. And the holiness of God, it refers here really to God's separateness, that God is separate, that God is other. He is un unlike any other being. He is separate from any other being. The theologians use the term he, he, uh, of transcendence. That is, his being and his character, they rise above, they go beyond, they exceed, they excel, they surpass everything else. The being and the character of God is holy. And it is, there is no one else like him. Nothing else like him. A.W. Tozer, a great scholar and pastor of the last century who's now deceased, described God's holiness with these words. Holy is the way God is. To be holy, he does not conform to a standard. He is the standard. He is absolutely holy with an infinite incomprehensible fullness of purity that is incapable of being other than it is because he is holy and all his attributes are holy. That is, whatever we think of as belonging to God must be thought of as holy. He is holy, holy, holy. And because God is holy, the first thing I want us to see tonight, and by the way, there are over 600, over 600 times in the scriptures where the word holy is found. It's from the pages of Genesis to Revelation, describing who God is, 
what God does and all that belongs to him. Holy, holy, holy. And the first thing I want us to see is this, that because God is holy, he's deserving of our praise and worship. He is deserving of our praise and worship. And isn't it a a wonderful thing? I hope your heart was lifted tonight in worship. It should have been because if you were worshiping right, you were lifting your heart to the Lord. God is holy, and because he's holy, he is deserving of our praise and worship. The psalmist tell us over and over again in Psalm 99, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy, and we are to exalt him. Psalm 29, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. In Psalm 99, let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. He is holy, holy, holy. And we are to give him our worship because he is holy. And it's his holiness more than any other attribute that is the reason why we praise God, the reason why we worship him. His great name is awesome. It is great and awesome, and it is worthy to be praised because he is holy. We are to worship him in splendor, that is in the the magnificence and majesty of his name because he is holy. His separateness, his otherness is unlike anyone or any other thing. His being and his character transcend and surpass everything else. He is holy, he is holy, he is holy. The word worship means to bow down. And so when, when we, we see in these passages that we are to worship God, that word means to bow down or to prostrate oneself, to, to actually lay down. And worship is the expression of reverence and homage to the God who is, is worthy of our bowing down to, of prostrating ourselves before because he is holy. And that's the expression of true worship a heart that is bowed before him as we sing and lift up our praises, as we worship him, that we would recognize he indeed is is holy. He is, his holiness is the reason we worship. According to John's vision in Revelation, Revelation chapter four, day and night we're told the four living creatures, and those must must be angels, Around God's throne, John tells us they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It never stops, day and night. That is what they do. And then John goes on to to give the response of the elders to this antiphony of praise. And the 24 elders who also surround the throne, their response is to fall down and to worship him. This is the response of heaven to a holy God. 
In Isaiah 6, again, where this same passage is revealed through Isaiah's vision of seeing the Lord exalted on his throne with seraphs, that is, angels, again, calling out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. What was Isaiah's response? Listen to what Isaiah 6 tells us. He cried out, woe to me, woe to me. I am ruined. I'm undone. His heart instantly bowed when he saw the vision of the the majesty of the holiness of God. How could he do less? You know, there's no other response to encounter, to an encounter with the living God. In fact, the Bible declares that one day every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess to the God who is holy, to the God who is worthy of our worship and praise. Because God is holy, he deserves our worship and praise. And one way or another, he will one day soon most certainly have it. If you're, not, if you're here tonight and you've not yet bowed your heart to this God who is holy, He longs that you would know him because, again, knowing him is the greatest thing in life. Would you say it again with me? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Because he is holy, the second thing I want us to see is this. He is righteous in all his commands and judgments. Because God is holy, he is righteous in all his commands and judgments. Paul tells us in Romans 7, so then, the law is holy, and the commandments, the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. God's laws and God's commandments are holy. Every law and every command in this book reveals the holiness and the righteousness of God, who is absolutely perfect and pure. His commandments are given for our good. We maybe can struggle with that at times, but they're holy, they're good. They're given for our good. And the rules that, that he has given are to be observed. They're to be obeyed. And he has issued penalties for the failure to obey them. God's moral laws in in the word of God are true and they apply to every person, in every culture, in every generation. They are holy. They are true. They are good. When God says don't murder, it applies to every, every person, in every culture, in, in, in every generation. That's true for stealing, that's true for adultery, that's true for lying, that's true for coveting, that's true for gossiping. It's true for every sin. His moral laws are holy. His moral laws are righteous. His moral laws are good. And they always have been and they always will be. They can never be anything less. When we live by them, we are blessed. 
And when we choose not to, there are consequences that we bear. God's laws and commandments are holy. Every law and every commandment reflects a God who is totally righteous and incapable of tolerating sin. The psalmist said this in Psalm 77, Your ways, O God, are holy. What God is so great as our God? There is none. None. Your ways, O God, are holy. His judgments are holy, and all his ways are holy. That means God's actions are always holy. His decisions are always holy. His will is always holy. His justice is always holy. His love is always holy. His wrath is always holy. His plans and purposes for our lives is always holy. They are always holy. His ways are holy. And that also means that they're always right. They're never wrong. Because his ways are holy, they are always just. They are never unjust. Because his ways are holy, they are never evil. They're always good. Because his ways are holy, he is always correct. He never, never makes a mistake. You know, we live in a world that's broken. We live in a world that's full of evil. And uh, that's, you know, not unknown to any of us. And when that brokenness and that evil encroach on our lives personally, we, we can question at times the ways and the wisdom of God. Job did. He was a righteous man. And yet God permitted the enemy, the evil one, to take from Job everything that he had. He lost absolutely everything. And when his friends came, Job argued that as his friends tried to, Job, there must be something in your life. Job said, no, I'm a righteous man. Why did this happen? And through 42 chapters, that's Job's argument. Until he, he, he has an encounter with the presence of the holy God. And instantly, everything changed. Job's response when he heard God speak was this. It was to repent in dust and ashes. That was his response to the holiness of God. Habakkuk also wrestled with God. He questioned how God could allow the wicked to prosper and how God could use a wicked nation to bring judgment on, on the nation of Israel. But when he too heard the voice of God, Habakkuk's arguing with God was, was immediately turned to fear and to trembling. You know, we too can, can often question and wrestle with the ways of God and the will of God. But know this, all of that will instantly vanish in the presence of his unimaginable and unequaled Holiness. It is a holiness that is unequaled. It is a holiness to us at this time that is unimaginable. Isaiah 55, God declares through Isaiah, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. 
His ways are holy. They are never wrong. They are never unjust. They are never a mistake. Paul believed this when he declared, all things work together for good. And Joseph believed this when he said to his brothers who had thrown him into slavery and he had suffered as he did, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. I'm wearing on my wrist a little bracelet that was given to me this last year by family that's, I believe, here tonight. And on the name of the bracelet is Cody Lee Richardson. About coming up on 11 years ago, I did Cody's service right here. And his parents sat right down there. And I remember almost tripping off the step. And when I got down there, his mom, Jody, said he would have loved that. <laughs> but on this bracelet is something else that's written that Cody Richardson believed. He was 12 years old when he died of a brain tumor. And he believed this. God doesn't make mistakes. Some of you remember that maybe. A 12-year-old boy. And that was his message here to the school in front of the entire student body. That was his message at Calvary Temple in front of the entire student body. God doesn't make mistakes. And I don't know if Cody understood the reason God doesn't make mistakes because God is holy, holy, holy. But Cody believed, knowing that his days were numbered, that God doesn't make mistakes. He is holy, holy, holy. Third thing I want us to see, because God is holy, he must judge and punish sin. The psalmist in Psalm 7 writes this, God is a righteous judge. He is a holy judge, a God who expresses his wrath every day. That was written a long time ago. It's still true today. God is a holy and righteous judge, and his wrath is still expressed every day. Just read in the newspaper, look on the news. The book of Revelation, again, John, in Revelation chapter 6, John, speaking of that great day, the, the day of the Lord that is coming, is yet to come, says this, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? And there is a day when this holy God will come again. And the answer to that is no one. No one. God's holiness is clearly revealed in his judgment on sin. You see, God hates sin. He hates what it has done to us. It has separated us from him. He hates what it has done to his creation. He hates sin. He hates what it did to his son, Jesus. He hates sin. And the Bible tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We fall short of his holiness. We fall short of his righteousness. It also tells us that the wages of sin is death. That is the penalty. That is the punishment for mankind's sin. Both physical death 
and spiritual death, which is separation from God. God's judgment on sin reflects his holiness. He hates it, and he must punish it. But the greatest and most amazing demonstration of God's holiness is right there. It's the cross of Christ. That is the greatest and most amazing and magnificent demonstration of God's holiness. It was at the cross, as Pastor Rick shared earlier, that Jesus, who is called the Holy and Righteous One, paid the penalty for our sins by the sacrifice of himself so that our sins may no longer be counted against us. That is holiness. That is God's holiness. And God's holiness is so infinite and our unholiness is so immense that the only sacrifice the only sacrifice, only the sacrifice of his son, his one and only son, could ever pay for the atrociousness of our sin. Listen to what Isaiah says. Isaiah 53. But he, that is Jesus, writing 700 years, the prophet before Jesus was ever born, but he was wounded for the wrong we did. He was crushed for the evil we did. The punishment which made us well that is the cross, was given to him. And we are healed because of his wounds. Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 says this, God made him who knew no sin to become sin, to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Unbelievable. That is the holiness of God. He is holy, holy, holy. There is no greater demonstration of God's love. There is no greater demonstration of God's grace. There is no greater demonstration of God's holiness. He is holy, holy, holy. And we have a reason to celebrate and to worship and to lift him up. And the instant that we placed our faith in Christ's work on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, the Bible says we were declared justified. And that just means we were declared holy. We were clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And all of our filthy rags were washed clean by his blood. That is holiness. Holy Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And aren't you glad? And finally, because he is holy, he calls us to be holy. 1 Peter 1 says this, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Paul writes Timothy and says to him, But you, Timothy, man of God, run for your life from all this. Pursue a righteous life 
And notice what he, how he describes this righteous life, this holy life that he says we are to pursue. A life of wonder, a life of faith, a life of love, a life of steadiness, a life of courtesy, a life with so much more. That is the life that God calls us to pursue. We become Christians instantly when we place our faith in Christ. But knowing God and growing in our faith is a lifelong process. And it's not an easy process. It takes time. And you know what? It takes work. We are to pursue holiness. And that pursuit, Paul tells us, is a life of wonder, faith, and love. (laughs) It's a great, great life. Jesus tells us, Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness or my holiness, and all these things shall be yours as well. There, is, there are no shortcuts to holiness. It takes time. But that is the goal that God has set for every one of us. You know, again, over 600 verses on holiness in the scriptures. A lot of places we could go. But let me just share with us a few things, four things that maybe can help us in our pursuit. They're very simple. Pursuing holiness involves, first of all, hating sin. Hating sin. Romans 12, 9 says, hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. We are to hate sin. And yet at the same time, we are to cling to what is good. And really, it's in clinging to what is good that I think we, we grow in learning what it means to hate sin. And we live in a world where every day we're tempted. Our flesh tempts us. The world tempts us. We have an enemy that tempts us. And we can become very, very complacent with the sin of the world. We can come, become very complacent with our own sin. But you know what? Your sin has never brought you happiness. Look back on sin in your own life. I guarantee you, you know it never brought you happiness. It may have brought you a moment's pleasure, but it never brings happiness. It's what placed God's Son on the cross. It's what caused God to turn His back on His one and only Son. God hates sin. He hates what it has done to us and to his creation. And because he is holy, we are to be holy. Hate sin. Cling to what is good. Not only are we to hate sin, we're to obey, be obeying God's word. Pursuing holiness involves hating sin And it involves obeying God's word. James says this to us, but prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. Be hearers of the word. Be doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. Pastor Rick last week shared a parable uh, that Jesus told about uh, two men who were builders. One built a house, and he built that house upon the sand. One built a house... And he built that house upon the rock. The winds came, the floods came, and the house on the sand fell. The house on the rock, it stood. 
Both heard the word of God, Jesus said. The difference was one heard and obeyed. And obedience, Jesus said, is the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment is to obey, to love God. And Jesus said, if you, if you love me, you will obey me. And, and Ephesians, I've, 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 I've gotten too quick here, but James says, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. And we are to live based upon this book. I believe it was Howard Hendricks who said, a dusty Bible leads to dirty lives. And we have so many opportunities in this church for you not to have dusty Bibles. That's what our men's ministry and our women's ministry is all about. Our small groups are all about being in the Word of God, hearing God's Word, and choosing to obey God's Word. Every ministry in our church, for those of you who are new, our follow class and our foundations class is based upon the Word of God. Paul wrote to Timothy, all scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, in holiness, that the man or the woman of God might be complete, might be whole, might be equipped for every good work. Pursuing holiness involves obeying God's word. And it involves, thirdly, living in love. Living in love. Be imitators, Paul writes in Ephesians 5. Be imitators of God and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Live a life of love. Imitate me, God says to us. Be holy as I am holy. Live a life of love. Jesus said the greatest commandment is the love commandment, to love him first with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love one another, even in the same way that Jesus loves us. This is not an option. This is God's command. We are to live in love. And finally, yielding to the Holy Spirit, yielding to the Holy Spirit, Paul writes in Galatians 5, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Since we live by the Spirit, and Paul writes in Corinthians, he, twice he shares this same question. He says, do you not know that you, your body is the temple of God and that God's Spirit dwells in you? And I believe he, 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 uh, he shares that with us by way of question for this, for this reason. Most of the time, most of us really don't know that. We don't live that way. We don't realize that the living God, the Holy Spirit, the one, the Spirit that is called holy, lives within inside of us. He lives with inside of us to be our helper. He lives with inside of us to, to guide us. He lives with inside of us to teach us. He lives with inside of us to give us strength. And on and on and on. And we are to yield our lives. We are, we are to, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. We are to walk with Him every day. We are to, to talk with Him. We are to commune with Him because He lives with inside of us. There's no place that you go that He is not. <laughs> He's with you. Our oldest grandson, uh, we celebrated his fourth birthday uh, last week at FunWorks. And uh, after a, a lot of 
the, uh, the food was over and all those things, Creighton said to me, come on, Grandpa, let's go play. And so I took him by the hand, and, and uh, we were walking, and then he kind of broke loose from me, and he started to dart, and I could see, uh-oh, and he hit, he hit his head right here. He ran into something with his head down, and he didn't see what it was. But because I was there, I could see immediately he was getting ready to cry. And I reached down, and I, I said, let me see. And I kissed him, and then I said, come on, let's go. And I took his hand, and off we went. And he didn't cry. And we went on, and we played, and my wife came up, and she saw him, and she said, what happened? And I told her what happened. You know, when we yield our lives to the Spirit, the one who lives inside of us, and as Paul says, let us keep in step with him. That doesn't mean we're not going to bump into things in life. We do. But when we do, he's there to bend down. He's there to kiss that, that spot and to grab our hand and to say, come on. Let's go. Pursuing holiness. What does it look like in our lives? I think it looks like this, Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, is love, is joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness, it's self-control. That's what a life looks like that is pursuing holiness. And God says to us, be holy as I am holy. There's nothing greater than knowing him. And if you're here tonight and you don't know him, you've never given your heart to him more than anything else, he longs that you would know him. He loves you with an everlasting love. He demonstrated how great his love was, is, was for you and is for you when Jesus died on the cross for you. And tonight, in just a few minutes, I'm going I'm to pray in just a moment. And, and if tonight, maybe God is speaking to you, I encourage you just to go through these doors where it says the altar, and there'll be somebody back there who can pray with you. And maybe you're here tonight and you're a believer and you realize, you know, I've not really been walking in holiness. Maybe you would need somebody to pray with tonight. I would encourage you to go forward and, and just pray with someone. There may be another need. You may just need to talk, talk with someone about, a, about an issue in your life that you would like prayer for. I would encourage you to do that. May God bless you. I know the majority of us here know the Lord. Would you say with me once again? Let's repeat it together. Holy Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty.